like the last verse before 8. So if you're looking, look for chapter 8. And if you've been with us and aren't just visiting, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah and looking at rebuilding together at this idea of unity. But today we shift from looking at the building of the wall to the spiritual rebuilding and unity of the people. And today in chapter 8, I want to look together and tell you the story of Ezra declaring the word of the Lord. And through that, we are going to see three things. Three things that if we too desire to have our lives transformed by this book, by the word of God, that we need to practice as well. So if you've already turned there, I ask that you would bow your heads once more and we're going to pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I ask, first and foremost, Lord, that I would be doing this for you, that I would not be distracted by uh, any desire to please men, Lord, but I would be doing it all for your glory. And I ask for your people who are gathered here today that they too might uh, be seeing your word in a fresh light as we read and hear this story. I thank you for the chance to gather, and I pray that we would continue now in worship. In your name I pray. Amen. It was finally done. The wall was finished after two months of hard work and toil by the people. Nehemiah had taken a broken and humiliated city and returned its pride. Together they had rebuilt Jerusalem. Yet despite their success, there was something missing in the hearts of the people. Something that they had not realized was missing until the arrival of Ezra and Nehemiah. These two men had something different, something that the rest of the people did not have. It was clear that God had shown his hand in the completion of the wall, and they had heard rumors circulate about the favor that Nehemiah had with King Artaxerxes. Clearly that was God's doing. Others knew the stories of Ezra and how he had this religious fervor. Yet the emphasis and the connection that these men had to God and the relationship they had with him was abnormal and not one seen for a long time. These men whose everyday lives were a reflection of what God desired of them. The people of Israel, though exhausted from their work on the wall, realized that they too wanted to experience this relationship. And so they realized that what it was was that that Ezra and Nehemiah were stayed upon the word of God. If these men who had caused such change and success followed and lived by the law of Moses, then clearly the people needed to know the word of God. And so the people went to Ezra and they asked. Asked him to read the book of the law in front of all the people. But within no time, the people of Israel had spread the news throughout Jerusalem and its surrounding villages. To the peoples whose hands were still sore from the work on the wall, the young, the old, men and women, rich and poor, for the first time in forever, everyone was going to hear the book of the law. To anyone and everyone who would hear it. Everyone knew that on the first day of the seventh month, everyone was going to gather in Jerusalem. This was a day already known as a holy day, the start of the new year. People didn't know what to expect, but they knew that something was going to happen. So just like that, the people who had arrived home for the first time in weeks from this labor on the wall packed their things up and returned to Jerusalem. People living in Jerusalem straightened their homes and cleared their yards so that travelers could come stay in their homes and in their communities. 
Over, over the days leading up to the first of the month, the population of Jerusalem soared, and Israelites worked together to ensure that everyone had a place to stay, place to stay and to rest in Jerusalem. On the last day of the sixth month, people began to talk. Tomorrow was the day. And in the afternoon, word went out that a large platform had, had been set up in front of the water gate so that everyone could be there to listen to what Ezra had to say. The excitement mounted at word that it was placed by the gate instead of by the temple because it solidified the fact that everyone would be able to listen to the word of the law, regardless of how young or how old. Children sat at dinner that night, excitedly describing the platform to their parents, how amazing and grand it looked, and informing their parents that they had scouted out just the right place to sit to listen to the Word of God. Well, the next morning came, and Ezra was to begin reading early in the morning. So even as the sun was rising, people began to arrive at the square in front of the water gate. Every family and every village had made the journey. Some even traveled through the night to make it by morning. People were arriving all the time, congesting the squares. And before long, the big crowd had sucked away the coolness of the night. No one had ever known or seen any gathering like this before. Not since before the exile had people gathered in one place with such excitement to hear the word of God. Suddenly, a wave of silence rippled away from the stage. And as it did, people turned and strained their heads to see why it had gone quiet. There were men taking the stage. Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah gathered all on the right side of the stage, while Padiah, Mishael, Mekajah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Melsham took the left side. Each man was a respected leader of Jerusalem and of the surrounding villages. The men quietly took their places, their countenance displaying the anticipation felt by the whole of Israel gathered. Finally, Ezra walked onto the platform. His tired face was lit with a joy and hope at the sight before him. The people of Israel were gathered to hear the word of God. Clutched tightly in his hand was the law of Moses, tattered from being read over and over by him and others. He carried it cautiously to ensure it didn't slip from his hands. In the middle of the stage was a podium, just the top just large enough to hold the scroll. Ezra gingerly set it down, raised his head to look at this, the, crowd, the crowd, and slowly reached to open the book of Moses. Well, last time we were with Nehemiah, we finished the wall, and you might have thought this was the end. But instead, we see that we are turning from the completion of a physical goal to the beginning of a spiritual unification. We meet the people at the very end of chapter 7, returning to their homes, but needing something more. So as we look at the Israelites in this first part of our passage, we realize that when they saw the word of the, God, word of the Lord, and when they knew they were going to be uh, reading it, that they needed to prepare themselves. To prepare themselves to hear what it had to say. And so we see them preparing themselves in several ways throughout this narrative. If you look in the beginning of chapter 8, we see first that it was the people who went to Ezra. They knew that they needed to hear the word of God, and so they prepared themselves by asking, asking Ezra to read it to all people. It reminds me the other day of being out with friends, and we were talking about the frustrations of Ikea furniture. Raise your hand if you've ever bought anything from Ikea. Yeah, you know. 
It's tough because you get at home and you think, okay, in the store this looks fantastic, but this just looks like a wooden box. And you open it and there's like 500 pieces, like Lego all over again. But then you have to take the instructions and you have to look through them and eventually build it. In the same way, the people of Israel knew that they had this book. They knew it was there and it, and it could be amazing for their lives, but they needed to take it out and look at the instructions before they could start to rebuild their lives. The people of God had these divine instructions, and so they asked Ezra to come and read before all people. And we see, too, in the first verse of uh, chapter 8 that it says they gathered as one man. We saw that there was those men on the stage, and Ezra could have just read the law to them, but instead they gather all together so that they all can be unified in the hearing of God's word, preparing themselves by all gathering in one place. We see that people came from near and far, from Jerusalem, from the villages, all so that they could be together in hearing God's word, preparing their hearts to hear. And then we also see on the day of several different things. First, they had already built the platform. They were ready. Nothing was going to stop them from being ready to hear God's word. So they built a platform so that everyone could see and hear Ezra. And then we also see that it was held in the water gate. This was a big area in front of one of the gates so that all people could gather. If it had been in the temple, there would have been various conditions on who would be allowed to listen and and how long it could be. And so instead, they made it in a place that everyone could gather. You see, they were preparing themselves so that they could all listen to God's word. We also see their preparation through the way that the leaders did take the stage. See, it could have just been some of the people listening, but through the leaders being on stage uh, by Ezra, we see that this was something that was, uh, something that was endorsed by the various areas, by the various leaders. These men took the stage so to demonstrate that they also had this commitment. They, done, they did everything that they could to show Ezra and to show God that they were ready, they were prepared to hear God's word. And so we see that for a life to be transformed by the word of God, there must be preparation involved. People, if they, the Israelites, if they wanted to hear it, knew that they needed to prepare. They needed to get ready to hear his word. Well, Ezra slowly opened the scroll. And as he did, the thousands that had gathered stood up before him, ready to receive what the book of the law said. The sun, now peering brightly over the gate, shone on the crowd as they stood in reverence to God's word. The silence, as Ezra looked up from the book, captivated everyone's attention, even the most rambunctious child. And the still air was pierced by the powerful voice of Ezra. O Lord, the great and awesome God, And with those words, the crowd of Israel erupted into two overwhelming declarations of Amen, Amen, their hands raised in the air. It was almost joyous, but its fervor was met with a wave of reverence and realization as they quickly lowered their hands and bowed their faces to the ground. This was the very word of God that they were receiving. Despite the heat now perspiring on their faces, the whole crowd now bowed low to the ground once again still. Ezra again spoke. The people stood up rising to take the word of God as Ezra opened the book, reading the first passage. He began to read portions of the law, portions that carried great significance and application to the crowd, portions that showed where they had been falling short in sin. 
but also passages that reminded them of the relationship they had with their Creator God and the history that He, that he had with them as a people. It would have been easily overwhelming. A flood of new and unheard commands of blessings and curses and promises. Yet the people had prepared themselves. And they were there, ready with a posture of worship, ready to listen. As Ezra finished the first passage, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, all Levites versed in the law moved among the people. The people sat back down in the square, gathered in groups with one of these Levites among them, answering questions and explaining difficult passages to them. Men and women who had never practiced many of these laws were realizing their significance and God's demands on their lives. As Ezra stopped between the reading of the passages, the reverent silence of the crowd was replaced by thirsty conversations and questions until Ezra once more stood at the podium ready to declare the word of the Lord. This was the scene all morning long. Ezra read a passage while all the people stood soaking up what he said. As he finished, they would slowly sit down and begin to talk with the Levites and the people around them. As the sun marked the time in the sky and the morning slipped away, the seriousness of what they were hearing began to sink into the hearts and minds of the people. With the understanding of each passage and its demands on their life, and the relationship with their God, the people began to sink under the weight of their realized guilt, shame, and sin. Some even began to sob quietly as Ezra continued to read. When the sun was directly overhead, Ezra finished reading. He closed the scroll and looked quietly up from the podium. The people stood, not sitting this time. The scripture they had heard cleared in their minds. Continued sobs or some were joined by the crying of others, and soon most were shedding tears. There was wailing and crying in disbelief. They couldn't believe it. How had they lived in so much sin for so long? How had they been messing up and disobeying God and still evaded the certain destruction and curse that came as a punishment? The crowd that hours before was filled with anticipation and excitement was now destroyed with mourning. Nehemiah, who at all this time had been standing at the edge of the square, praying and thanking God for his faithfulness to his people, now took the stage. He walked by the now pensive men and met Ezra in the center of the platform and spoke in his ear before turning to the crowd. He raised his hands to quiet them, and when it was quiet enough over the cries, he spoke. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. The Levites walked among the people, this time comforting them, reminding them that this was a day that was to be of worship and prayer to the Lord. This was to be a day, a holy day of celebration, of gratefulness of all that God had done. In the midst of the crying, Nehemiah spoke again. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Israelites slowly began to gather themselves. What Nehemiah said was true. This was not a law solely of judgment, but of one of grace, and one that relied on God's love, not their actions. They wiped their tears from their hot and sweaty faces, stifled their cries, and calmed those around them who were wailing. Slowly they regained composure and began to gather their things to leave. The Levites continued to walk around, ushering people out. Be quiet, for this day is holy. 
do not be grieved. Eventually, the square was nearly empty. The people went off and spent the afternoon preparing meals in their homes to celebrate all that God had done. Meanwhile, in the square surrounding the gate, the sun was still high in the sky, baking the trampled ground. Ezra and Nehemiah approached the 26 men that, that remained in front of the platform. These leaders and Levites knew that there was so much more to be learned and to be taught. One after another spoke of the need to have an opportunity to learn more so that they could teach it to their people. Ezra, though tired from the long morning, quietly spoke up. Tomorrow, the heads of the household, the Levites, the priests, would meet again with him to study God's word. Well, that night of celebration was greater than any had been seen in Jerusalem for generations. The people celebrated the beginning of the year and the holy day like never before. Reading scripture made them realize God's goodness and his love for them. This was clearly a turning point. There was no doubt that God's word, the law, had spoken to their hearts. They knew that their lives would never be the same. They had prepared their hearts to hear his word. And when it was time, they met it with a posture ready to receive but we see that the preparation was all worth it. That when they met the word of the Lord, that they were ready to hear. And so now in this point of the story, we see that for the word of God to revive their hearts, they needed to hear it with a posture of worship. They needed to hear it with the correct posture. Though they didn't even know what it said, they recognized that God had the desire to speak to them. And it shows through this part of the story. We see it in the way that they rise as Ezra opens the scroll to read. And then we see it as Ezra speaks this adoration, our great God, the great and awesome God, and immediately the people shout, Amen, Amen, showing their reverence and their readiness to hear. But then they take it further by bowing all the way to the ground. It's an ultimate display of this posture of worship. And it's an act of worship showing their inward desire and need for God. This posture continues through the way that the Word of God is read. They stand in reverence, but they don't allow themselves to just hear the Word. The Levites are ready among the people, ready to talk to them and explain to them everything about this scene is inviting in worship. Their posture is all about hearing and understanding the Word of the Lord. In verses 7 and 8, it says the Levites helped the people, and the result of this posture was that they understood the word of God. But finally, and most importantly, we see their posture of worship through their heart, the way that their hearts meet the word of God. Had they had a posture of apathy or a lack of desire, we know that their hearts would not have been gripped, but instead we see the opposite. We see these two vastly different but equally intense emotions as they are met with the words of the word of God. In verse 9, we see the first. We see there it says, For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. When they heard scripture, with the posture of worship, their first response was sadness and grief. There was a realization that they were living in sin and they had fallen a long way from the requirements that God had for them. For God's word to grip their lives, they first had to come to grips with the fact that they had fallen incredibly short of the glory of God. And their hearts were broken at this because they came and listened with a posture of worship. Thankfully, this is just the first of two responses. 
Because as we look at verses 10 and verses 12 in our passage, we see that there's something that overwhelms this mourning and sorrow. Look in verse 10 where Nehemiah says, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. While the people mourn, they needed to be reminded that their punishment and their actions were not the end of the story. That though they had uh, sinned against God, that God was one of grace, and that was the overwhelming story in Scripture. That the posture of worship is assumed first, yes, by mourning, but then they needed to move forward, recognizing that God's law provides grace and redemption. And so in verse 12, we see that their emotional response of grief is overwhelmed by this joy and celebration of their greater God. There in verse 12 it says, And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They had put in the preparation. And as they put in the preparation to hear God's word, as they were met with it, they were able to uh, mourn in sadness, but also rejoice because they approached it with a posture of worship. The next morning, on the second day of the seventh month, all the priests and the Levites and the leaders met Ezra to read God's word. Unlike the day before, Ezra read greater portions of scripture. It was spent pouring over the words of Moses. And instead of silence, there was excited interruptions and interjections as the leaders wanted to fully understand what the word of God said so that they in turn could teach it to their people. They paused from time to time to make sure that they could remember But before long, Ezra made it to a passage that addressed the various feasts and festivals of the year. Many of the men had known some of the festivals, but some could barely remember and didn't know when they had last celebrated them. Suddenly, Ezra read about the Feast of Tabernacles. That was a mere two weeks away. It was to be on the 15th day of the seventh month. The men stopped Ezra, excited. Could they pull this off? Would this be their first act of worship? The way that they as a people could put into practice what they had heard? The feast required that every family or household build for themselves a booth and for, for seven days after the 15th dwell in that booth. They were to hold the feast in Jerusalem, the holiest of places. They were to spend seven days worshiping, feasting, and sacrificing. The men all talked excitedly. This would be the way that they could demonstrate They could show, they could put into practice what they had heard in the Word of God. This was the perfect chance. As they finished reading about the feast, the men went their separate ways. As commanded, they went out to the various villages and towns and proclaimed to all people the excitement and the news of the festival. This was going to be the greatest feast of tabernacles since the time of Joshua. With the leaders and fathers on board, no doubt the people of Israel would gather and take this as their chance put their renewed faith into practice. As the men went on their way, Ezra sat back and thanked God for the way in which he had worked. He knew that for the men hearing about this festival of booths, it was the right thing. And this was the perfect opportunity for God's people to show their commitment. In the two weeks that follows, the whole of Israel caught the vision of the festival. By the third day of the month, with the festival still almost two weeks away, word had spread throughout Jerusalem and to the surrounding villages. Men began to go out and comb the countryside for adequate branches to build their booths, like cows grazing for grass. They returned each evening with branches of olive trees, myrtle trees, palm trees, and other leafy trees and stored them on their roofs of their houses, waiting for the trance 
for the chance to transform them into a sturdy and protective roof. By the end of the first week, there were piles of branches and leaves by each household, overflowing the courtyards and the temple. The next week, more people began to arrive into Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. They brought with them more branches. They brought with them their food, provisions to feast for the week, and they brought with them, too, their excitement. The entire week, as the sun set each night, you could see men on rooftops with rope and branches constructing their booths, all as one. This was their act of worship. Meanwhile, in the, in the homes, women were preparing all that they needed for the feast. Gathering flour, curing milk, planning meals, so that they all could be ready to host their entire family. And while the city was bustling with activity from morning to night, the people's minds were still drenched with the word of God. It saturated their thoughts and captivated their time as they worked. There was so much to process. On the day before the festival, the children again ran throughout the city. Hundreds of booths had been erected, and it looked like an entirely different city. Everyone from the temple servants to the merchants to the children to Nehemiah were preparing themselves to worship God the next day. The streets were packed with people from everywhere. People who had just returned from exile. People, the residents of Jerusalem and travelers from villages far away all met together as the city, all unified, finished making preparations. Homes were cleaned, sacrifices gathered, and food prepared. Everything was ready. On the morning of the 15th day of the month, the people gathered once again to listen to Ezra read the word of God. This was the kickoff to the festival, the opening celebration. But the feeling was vastly different than the first time. The people again rose and took in all that he had to say, but this time they worshipped in their booth because they knew that they were not a people living dead in sin, but they were alive and began to put his word into practice. After Ezra finished reading the law each day, the people gathered at the temple and watched as Ezra and the priest performed sacrifices. They lasted for hours as each day there were hundreds of animals sacrificed, but the people didn't care. They stood and watched and rejoiced and praised as animal after animal reminded them that they were God's people. And these animals were a demonstration of their relationship with Him. Then each evening, as the people returned to their booths, they enjoyed a feast. Massive meals cooked with passion, slowly eaten into the night. Families sat around and enjoyed the food while discussing the various passages that Ezra had to say reminding one another that with God's word in their hearts, that their lives would never be the same. For seven days it was the same. Each day began with the reading of God's word, continued with sacrifices, and finished with the feasting and booths. And then finally on the eighth day, the people all gathered together. The festival was coming to a close, and God's word commanded that on the last day they conclude with a solemn assembly. This had been a week of celebration and rejoicing at the ability to follow all that God had demanded of them as his people. And they, on the back of spiritual revival, had been more than happy to follow. But at this assembly, they knew it was far from over. It was merely the beginning. The week of action was easy, but a life of devotion to God's word that came next was going to take a lot more work. As the assembly ended, the people went back to their homes. There was much to be done. They had known little of devotion, and God's requirements were great. But as they departed, they knew that the reading of God's word had started in a revival in their hearts that could not be stopped. As the people 
were met with God's word, they could not help. They could not contain their passion. And so what we see in this final part of our story is that their passion and their posture of worship overflowed into their putting it into practice. As Ezra greets the men on the second day, we see that through their uh, act of coming together to read the word, that they are continuing to desire to put God's word into practice. And immediately we see that as rewarded because the, the men read about the festival of booths. We see that with this, they are able to immediately put, to put into practice what they had heard. And so the people here are gathered together, inspired by the spiritual revival, and that now they were celebrating something not just for themselves. This was not a celebration of their own, but of God. They had met with the Word of God. And in verses 16 and 17, we see that they immediately went out and did it. The leaders proclaimed the Word as they were told to in the Scripture. The men and the women, uh, the households, made these booths so that everyone together could put into practice God's Word. They could celebrate together. Having gone through Exodus, uh, our church will probably remember uh, the people eventually made their way into Canaan. And we see here uh, in verse 17 that there's the comparison with Joshua, the son of Nun. That people had not seen a feast like that, like this since this time. And so we see these two spiritual high points as the people come together, uh, rekindled by the reading of God's word. They are able to celebrate with the same fervor. They are putting it into practice just as the people did when they initially arrived in the land that was promised to them. This festival was a purposeful seven-day act of worship. And as they devoted themselves to understanding and putting into practice God's word, we see that their, their preparation had all been worth it. As they saw God's word, they were ready. And so they were able to come and listen with this posture of worship and from that be kindled and renewed into the desire to transform their lives. And then we lastly see that they were able to put it into practice. Preparation, posture, and practice. These three great ideas that kind of sum up our passage today that describe the actions of the Israelites. But if we stop there, we've missed the point. If we look at this entire story today and just look and say that was great, it went well for them, we've missed it. Because God has given us His Word as well. And just like the Israelites in Nehemiah, He has given us His Word so that through it our lives might be transformed. Just as they were met with spiritual revival, we too have the ability to be revived and transformed by the Word of God. It is the greatest tool that we have to living a Christ-centered life. But often we just throw this tool away. We claim we're spending time in God's Word or reading, but often those two or three days a week, our minds are just all over the place. And sometimes even as we together gather, we are disjointed and we are not met with the same unification that we saw in Nehemiah because of all that we have going on. The result is a life that is not centered upon what the Word of God says and lives that do not display it. But what we see here is an example of how we should approach God's Word. That if we truly want to be transformed, that we too take these steps. The Israelites went to incredible, incredible lengths. 
people who had just returned home came back. They set up a stage. How much more should we, who already know what God's Word says, who already have God's Word, should go and make preparations so that we too can be ready to hear His Word? Do you prepare your heart and mind to hear His Word? I read my Bible in the morning and I know that And if I go too much into my day, if I start too many things, that my mind is all over the place and I just can't focus on the Word of God. I also know that if I have my phone too near me, that I immediately start to get distracted by it. It's so easy to just flip it out and check the time and then look at notifications. We need to prepare ourselves. If you read your your Bible in the morning, put that stuff aside. If, If you need to go to a place by yourself, find a place. Do what it takes to prepare yourself to be able to focus on God's Word. Corporately, it's the same thing. We as a church must be prepared as we come and gather together. Are we ready? I know it's tough. I grew up as a pastor's kid and a missionary kid. You don't know the fights that happen on the way to church. But are we gathered and ready and prepared to hear God's Word together? Are we putting stuff aside and are we making sure that everything is fine-tuned so that nothing hinders the Word of God? Is it our ushers, our brochure, our offering, what we sing? Everything should be honed in so that we are ready to hear God's Word. That is the first step in being revived by God's Word. We must be prepared. We can't just approach it lightly. And if we take this preparation... We must also remember that no matter what, we must have the correct posture. We can assume that had the Israelites not taken this posture of worship, that they would have gone away unchanged. And we too are the same way. We can't claim to be any different. When we approach God's word, but we already have preconceived notions of what we want to hear, what we want to learn, we stop ourselves from being revived and transformed by it. We often say things like, oh, that doesn't apply to me, or Nehemiah was so long ago that that's not true in our generation. If the Israelites had done this, there would have been no remorse, and there would have been no rejoicing. We too are called to look and study God's word with a posture of worship, putting all aside, looking at our lives, and looking at God's word, and being captivated by it. And if we do that, we can know that our lives will be changed. That there will be times when we meet Scripture and we see that God's Word commands us to change our lives. That's true individually and that's true corporately. If we truly study God's Word, we have to be ready to change. To be ready to recognize that we're doing something wrong or that we need a tune-up. But at the same time, the encouraging part is, just like in Nehemiah, as we study God's Word and why are we... While we are convicted by sin, we are also met with the promises that he has for us. When we come together, yes, there might be times that are hard, but they are also met with the rewarding times of going away and rejoicing together as a body that is now on fire for God. It takes a posture of worship. And yes, it is hard to be fully ready to listen to what God has for us. But lastly after we've prepared and after we meet God's word with that posture, we have to be ready to put it into practice. This is where it often fails. It took hard work. It took two weeks of preparation of making the booth and then a whole week of devoting themselves to putting it into practice. They stopped their lives that they knew before. 
often it's easier for us to just think about it or talk to a friend about it or post something encouraging on Facebook about it than to go out and do it that day and the next day and the next day. When we are met with this posture, we also must be ready to go away from God's Word and let it transform our lives. We must be willing to go out. Individually, I don't know how this looks in your life. Maybe maybe at work there's something that's holding you back. Maybe uh, you're still a kid and you're at school and you're just not willing to forgive that friend or not willing to make up. Maybe it's a family member or relative and you, and you know that God's Word is commanding you to say something. You need to be ready to put it into practice. Corporately as a church, we are committed to teaching God's Word so that we as a church can put it into practice. That's why our name partly is Good News Bible Church. We want to teach the Word of God properly. And we want to do this so that we can put it into practice. That's part of the reason why we have various events. We have Hello coming up. So that we can start a conversation. And starting a conversation leads to making disciples. We, are, we have the desire through all that we do to put it into practice. That's why we have kids programs. That's why we have youth programs. We send our kids to camp so that they can learn and put it into practice. Another way that we put it into practice as we've read and met God's Word and been transformed spiritually is through the taking of communion. We corporately, as a body, seeing God's Word and being unified in that, take communion together. So Pastor Ralph is going to come up in a second and lead us in communion. But first, I want to ask, do you have the desire to be revived and changed by God's Word? Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active. It's ready for you. It's not going anywhere. The Word of God is already ready to mold your heart. Are you willing to take the time to prepare to hear it? And then to sit and read with a posture of worship? And then go away and put it into practice? Opening your heart to what it says and then going out and letting it transform you inside and out.